Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. Thank you for joining us on the Uncomfortable Truth. My guest today is Gene Valicente, known as uh, Rhode Island's Anchorman. And although I met him here, I don't know, 20 or 25 years ago, it turns out we are both from what Gene calls the old country. Uh, he from Weehawken, New Jersey, and I from Union City, New Jersey, just across the river from the Empire State Building. And here we, we meet up here. Uh, Gene uh, has a, a raft of awards. I'll, let's, let me just mention the most important, I think. Uh, he's the host of the uh, uh, long-running Sunday political show, 10 News Conference. He moderates all of Channel 10's political debates up here. Uh, he continues to co-anchor uh, the top-rated, and I think it now or at one time the nation's fourth highest-rated newscast, NBC News at six. This is what thirty years now, Gene. Thirty years at Channel Ten, and a few yeah. years before I got here. Yeah, okay. elsewhere. <laughs> we won't mention it. Uh, but most importantly, perhaps, I mean, from my point of view, he has a, just a fantastic early morning news talk show on both AM and FM radio uh, for three hours. And uh, the state legislature has passed a law that when you uh, vote for the uh, top media people in Rhode Island, you vote for number two, because Gene gets number one. That's it. It's a state law, and that's what happens. He's got four Emmy Awards, including two awards for anchoring. Uh, he's been at uh, uh, 9-11, where he was one of the very first reporters to be inside the perimeter. Uh, he's covered papal visits, uh, gubernatorial and presidential elections. Uh, he's the moderator for the station on the debates. Uh, and... Um, he co-anchored the NBC 10 newscast that won the National Edward R. Murrow Award for Overall Excellence. So I could go on and on, but I won't. Gene, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. It's great to be with you, Alan. You left out that we're both on witness protection up here. <laughs> and, uh, at some point, we can go back. But that's good to be <laughs> You're talking to me? Uh, Gene, I had on, uh, a guest, Clark Hoyt, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, who was a New York Times editor for quite a while. And one of the things he talked about was the demise of local newspapers. And he said that uh, we're losing about 10,000 a week. And he said, we're past the point of no return on local newspapers. What I wanted to ask you about was uh, AM radio, because, uh, and you're on FM as well, but uh, AM radio uh, seems to be in the crosshairs a little bit. That some electric car manufacturers say that they're going to exclude AM from future models and so forth. What, what do you think the future is of talk radio and AM? Well, I think radio only survives as long as the radio was in the car. And uh, I read the article, the same article you're talking about, that for some reason AM interferes with, or the electric car rather, the construction electric car interferes with AM. I know that Senator Markey uh, is heavily involved with this, trying to save AM radio, keep it in the car. Some of the high-end cars are already offering it as an option. So the future of radio, uh, at least the AM dial, as long as we're in the car, we're safe. FM is another story, I understand, although there may be some concerns about that with electric vehicles. Listen, we're going to electric vehicles. I drive one. I actually have two in the family. Uh, I listen to the FM, uh, my station on FM. I have no problems. Uh, but I think an honest answer to your question is radio only survives as long as it's in the car. Because that's when people listen to us. That's when they listen to me, 6 to 9 in the morning and driving home. In between, we have people who listen at home and listen on the app. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about podcasts. Some podcasts are very lucrative. I know Joe Rogan is, is making millions off that, uh, but he's few and far between. 
so most of the guys doing radio today are doing what I do. It's either on the AM side or the FM side. And we're only as safe as long as we're in the cars. So uh, I know Senator the market is saying it's a matter of emergency communications. You know, something goes wrong, you put on your car radio. There's a reason to have us. Uh, so if you own a radio station, you're dependent on Marky insisting that whatever's, whatever's going on inside an electric car, uh, that there's a workaround coming soon. But the honest answer is we're only, we're only around as long as, as long as we're in the cars. One of the ironies, it seems to me, is that uh, the preponderance of local advertising is on AM radio, not FM radio. And preponderance of that advertising is often from car dealers. So it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, it, it's funny while we talk, we, we, you know, we talk about, oh, AM radio is going away. I've got to tell you, our show, six to nine in the morning, we're sold out. You, you literally cannot buy a spot on my show. I've got people asking me, can I get on your show? Well, I'll, see, I'll talk to the boss. I'll see if I can squeeze you in. So there's this, there's this thing going on where people are lamenting, oh, AM is going to go away, or even FM radio will go away, and nobody's listening to it. I can only report to you that... I am sold out. I, I'm doing like 14 live reads in a three-hour show. That is, uh, that's more than, that's more than four an hour. In addition to all the other stuff that's crammed in there, so there's still money to be made depending on the show you have. I don't know that everybody is enjoying that kind of success. Uh, and Rhode Island, as you know, is a unique place. Uh, old habits die hard here. So Rhode Islanders still get in the car in the morning. They turn on WPRO. You know, the guy who did it before me. Uh, a couple of hosts before me was Salty Brian. We've named a beach after him. He did it for 50 years. Uh-huh. And uh, here I, I come along, uh, 10 years, I'm doing it for 10 years. I'll never make Salty's tenure. I'm doing it for 10 years, and the show is rolling along with higher ratings than, than Salty had and more revenue than Salty had. So I'm cognizant and aware of this notion that we're all going to vanish, we're all going to disappear. Look what's happening to newspapers. Uh, television, which I also do television news, I'm a glutton for punishment, uh, is going to evaporate and disappear. It's five more years for that. But yet I look at the books, my ratings have never been higher, and I'm sold out, and you can't buy a spot. So good well, they're, yeah. they're naming a beach after him. They ought to name an ocean after you, it seems like. But uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I did get. I did get a quarter John in, in the, uh, <laughs> one of the Rhode Island rest stops because I worked on it so much on the radio. That the DOT gave me a, a, a portage on of the rest stop. Well, I want to just talk for a moment about this advertising where you sold out. Oh, you know, I deal with influence and I deal with marketing. And you are very different in your advertising in that you put everything you have into convincing people that your advertiser should be patronized. And I mean, I listen to you sometimes. I have no need to buy another mattress, but I want to go out and buy a mattress. Just listening to you, I am missing out. on a, My mattress can't be as good as the one you're pitching. So tell me something. Uh, how do you get yourself into this position of huge credibility and huge passion about your advertisers? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I get to approve the advertisers that I'm going to read for, um, and so there are some that I've turned down. I, I you know I don't want to read that. You know, I read something about that guy, and I'm not going to read him. I'm not going to attach my voice to that. The other advertisers we have are bread and butter staple businesses in Rhode Island that a lot of us patronize uh, uh, certain lawyers who do uh, elderly law or certain nursing homes or furniture stores or car dealers uh, or, uh, or medical guys, you know, QC Kinetics or something like that. 
But with regard to the bread and butter, their stores that I've been to, I know and I trust them. So when I read the commercial for them, it's actually honest and legit. And I, ha I try to have fun with my commercials. You know, I'll kind of maybe incorporate the day's news into it. Uh, you know, there's one, the VD, VD Mercedes Benz. Uh, whenever your car needs service, they'll pick it up. So I'll just, you know, I'll pick up the copy and say, you know, uh, depending on where you are today, whether you're at a protest or, uh, you know, whether you're under indictment, we'll pick up the car right outside the courthouse for you. And this kind of, of funny, amusing approach to doing a live read has worked. I did 14 of them today, which is, which is amazing. One minute each. My God. So let's let's turn here to um, in the old days, the days of yours, my son used to say, uh, you'd find a, a TV truck with a satellite feed you know, uh, on the roof and you'd find uh, two or three people, a reporter, a photographer and so forth covering something. But today you often find a single solitary reporter out there filming themselves with their camera, with a remote mic and so forth. Uh, and it seems like uh, costs have really impacted this kind of thing. Do you see that continuing? I mean, are we going to be so? Is the news going to be relayed to us by drone pretty soon, and not by live people at all? Unfortunately, uh, I, I think that's possible. Maybe on the cloud somewhere, they've retained every word I've ever said, every grimace, every gesture, and uh, the uh, artificial intelligence is going to just put me together, and I'll live in eternity. But <laughs> actually, be live, uh, and I'll collect like a royalty check. I think that's all coming. Remember, Al Franken did a famous Saturday Night Live skit where he had a a satellite dish on top of this. Yeah, right, right. And we all looked at that and laughed at it. Well, uh, the truth is we're there uh, and you don't have to wear the satellite on your head. It now goes through your phone. I mean, you watch me in the mornings. I'll be sitting at my desk at home and I can do the radio from home. I mean, I'm in the studio as well. And Channel 10 will have me do a live shot on television at 615 while I'm doing my radio. I'm also on television live on Channel 10. You know how I do it? with a phone and a live view app. And I put it up there and it is crystal clear. It is good quality. Uh, it is HD and it's all done with a phone. It's amazing. So if you do that years ago, I would have to have a crew come to my house, set up a half an hour before, tripods, lights, cameras. And in the old days, it used to be, I think, a four-man crew. You had the reporter, the photographer, the lighting man, and a sound man. Well, the lighting man and the sound man went away for a long time. When I got into business, he still had a two-man crew, a cameraman, a cameraman, and he had a, a sound man carrying the deck. That's all gone away, and now the cameraman has gone away. Yeah. In college, they teach you to shoot everything on your own, and it just it's it's economy of scale. It is cutbacks, uh, but it's also this industry saying. Well, you know, if I could pay one person to do everything, I'm going to do it. And a lot of these young reporters have learned it in college. It's all they know. And the truth is they're very good at it. They know their way around a laptop and they can shoot, edit, report and feed the story off their phone. And this is happening in every market, large and small. We're a media market here in Providence. But Boston, which is uh, 45 miles away, as the crow flies. They're doing the same thing. And uh, New York is going to be doing the same thing. In the unions, unionized shops, they're being forced to accept a lot of this uh, because they have no choice. The industry is changing. Look what happened to newspapers. I mean, they're evaporating before our eyes. There's only yep. a handful of surviving. Yep. So we may lose the Providence Journal here. If you've seen it, you, you know that that's on life support. We may lose that altogether. 
so there's a there's a tendency to lament all of this. Oh, poor radio. Oh, poor TV. Oh, poor newspapers. Uh, look, the world changes. Uh, I'm sure the guy who was selling us uh, horses and buggies lamented when the car came around. Uh, it, it's just a part of natural change. And I don't know, Alan. I'll ask you. Uh, is this the golden age of television we're in? Only because there's so much gold. There are 500 stations. Uh, there's a show, plus Netflix, by the way, and 80 other streamings. It, you know, we all say the golden age of television, Steve Allen and Sid Caesar. I don't know. Maybe this is the golden age of television with The Crown on Netflix and The Sopranos on HBO and movies on demand. And, and a thousand documentaries at your disposal, maybe ironically, this is the golden age of television or at least media consumption because television is an old word, right? Uh, today, my kids, they don't even have a television. They, they watch whatever they want on the screen. So it's content on a screen somewhere. So I'm not lamenting it. Listen, I'm also on the back nine. Uh, maybe others a little younger than me are lamenting this tremendous shift. I'm watching it with amusement. I'm doing well, uh, and I think I'm going to be able to hold on until I decide to, you know, drop the curtain on it. But I am cognizant and aware of, of all of this, that, that the whole thing is changing. The whole thing is changing. Well, in view of change, you know, you and I have both seen the revered, you know, sort of um, Huntley Brinkley and Walter Cronkite move into this age now of disinformation and misinformation and social media information. What do you think the trajectory is from here? Uh, this uh, what I'll call opinion fact confusion. You know, I mean, it's a fact people have opinions, but a p- person's opinion isn't a fact. What's the trajectory? Are we going to emerge from this, or is it going to get more confusing? No, it's it's going to continue the way it's going. Uh, media news has always been a business. Uh, um, Alexander Hamilton founded the New York Post. Benjamin Franklin was a newspaper yeah. man. The pamphleteers, from what I understand, were absolutely ruthless uh, back in colonial days. They made the British tabloids seem tame. Um, well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of myths we can dispel. Walter Cronkite was 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 objective. Walter Cronkite ended the Vietnam War. <laughs> he wasn't objective when he when he decided to go against Johnson. He wasn't objective there. Uh, and and you could make a case for you know every newscast objectivity subjectivity. The fact is it's a business, and Fox found out that we can make a lot of money by by well, they call themselves fair and balanced. Clearly they're you know right of center. Uh, and a lot of people say, thank God you have Fox around, because at least they're telling that part of the story. On the other end, MSNBC has decided to go after the, the far left audience. They're making money. Uh, the, the one in the pickle is CNN, because they don't know what to do. Uh, they tried, uh, tried to be uh, objective. When Trump came along, they weren't. Uh, they had an audience when Trump was president. Trump left us. Now they're laying off people as we speak. They're hemorrhaging money. They bought a new guy in who has laid down the law. Uh, you, you're trying to pull them back to center, but I don't know if they if, if they're going to make money in the center. Uh, it's just a it's a fact. And by the way, uh, we've had this. Uh, newspapers are liberal or conservative, right? The New York Post, the Daily News. You couldn't have two polar opposites running those things. The New York Times, Wall Street Journal. So there's always been this uh, this up uh, this uh, you know subjective bent for any media. Anything. Yeah, yeah, all the way back to yellow journalism, I guess, for that matter. And but the answer to your question is uh, no. I think it continues, and I think it even becomes sharper, maybe more polarized, because the audiences 
They're going after an audience. It's not a calling. It's not a public service. It's a business. It's a business. And Rupert Murdoch has figured out how to make a lot of money. Well, you know, I wonder about, is there much value in trying to be as objective and centered as you can? Because if you look at the success of the, over the years of Rush Limbaugh, who was one of the most successful of all the talk show hosts, he wasn't really interested in converting anyone. He knew who his audience was, and he appealed to that audience. And it seemed to me his interest was in pumping things into that um, audience base that he knew they wanted to hear and that he knew uh, would be accepted. But I don't think he was out to zealously try to convert people to his point of view. Uh, what, what do you feel about that? I listened to Rush Limbaugh. I found them entertaining. A lot of people, you know, didn't like him, but I think more people liked him than didn't. And he, you're right. He maybe is. At one point, I thought he was the most successful person in all of entertainment. He made more money than any Hollywood icon. He was just raking it in and living in Palm Beach. Um, if you watch a newscast, uh, let's say whatever you select, and you believe you're getting the truth from that person, well, then there's value. If you watch Tucker Carlson at night and you think he's the only one giving you the straight story on Ukraine, well, then you found you found your guy. You found what you believe to the truth, and there's value in that. Uh, and if you if, if you know if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're looking at MSNBC at night and you believe you found the truth there, and you know there this is what you believe, then then they've served you. Then they've served you. I mean, look, I like to watch both of them. Believe it. I, I watch all of them. I really do. I watch CNN. I watch MS. I watch Fox. Uh, I, I'll listen. I'll be honest with you. I used to watch O'Reilly, and I know a little bit about this business. And I think if you watched O'Reilly with a critical ear and a critical eye, I found him to be fair. I really did. I found him to be fair and balanced. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, the minute you mentioned his name, oh, how could you say that? Well, watch him. <laughs> Watch the way he covered the story. I found the guy to be fair and balanced. Now, uh, he wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but he was pouring a lot of tea at Fox before before things went south on a personal level. Yeah. But I yeah. found the guy. To, I found the guy to be to be fair. So, in your experience, what's the most important thing, if you can narrow it down to one thing, in covering and reporting a story fairly and well and and comfortably and confidently? What's what's the most important thing? Well, you've got to have sources, you've got to have people who trust you, and you've got to cultivate a style of interviewing people so that, look, you can always interview somebody once, but uh, I've just either stumbled or, or unconsciously, I've been able to interview people, all of our congressional delegation, uh, Democrats, Republicans, they all come on my show, and it's because they, they know they're going to get a fair shake. Now, they may get a frank question, but it's going to be asked in a nice way. You listen to the show. Uh, I mean, look, I, I've shown the White House, Jack Reed, Congressman Landry, Congress, all Democrats, the whole congressional delegation is up here. Uh, they'll come on, uh, but so will the Republicans. A- Ashley Kalis ran for governor here. They all come on because they think they're going to get a fair shake from me. And so that's the most important thing, that you convince the newsmakers you're going to be fair. Uh, you're not going to pull any punches, but if you ask a tough question, it's going to be asked in a nice way. What's the other? You can get more. You can get more bees with honey than with vinegar. And after that, you've got to be honest with yourself. And and what's the truth? You know, uh, are you afraid to say that? Uh, you know, Trump did something right? No. There were times I think Trump. I would tell you Trump did this right today, and I'd be not afraid the next day to say Trump did this wrong today. Uh, and when he used to tweet, I would play the Ten Commandments trumpets. 
you know. Uh, this this brings up. Same thing for Joe Biden. Not afraid to call it the way it is. And overall, at the end of the day, if the audience is still with you, you must be doing something right. Now, this brings up what I think is one of your great interviews of the recent past, at least. I'm listening a few days ago, and you have on the departing mayor of Providence, Jorge Eloisa, uh, who's uh, completed a mandatory a second term with term limits here. And I think it's fair to say that Mayor Eloisa has been a highly progressive mayor in Providence, or at least attempted to be. And you were talking to him about the school system, and he said that he came in as a young guy, thought he could tame the unions, change the system, and realized then he had failed. He couldn't. And you said, well, uh, your son's going to start school in the next semester. Are you going to send him to public school? And he said, no, I'm going to enter him into the lottery for charter schools because you have to be chosen in the lotteries. That's what's fair. And then you said to him, what if he doesn't get chosen? And the mayor said, I'm sending him to private school. Now, I nearly had to pull off the road and stop just to consider that for a moment. Had you planned that sort of uh, uh, continuity or were you just following what you heard with him? Uh, you know, I was listening, listening to the conversation. A lot of reporters don't listen. Uh, a lot of the younger people, they're so busy looking at their next question and thinking about being on television. Uh, as you do this long enough, you forget you're on television. I'm just having a conversation with Audrey Alorza. And it was just a natural question. Uh, now, Mayor Alorza, uh, this goes back to technique and, and what's the most important thing to do. Listen, Mayor Alorza is a far, uh, almost a far left progressive. Uh, and, you know, in the morning, I may say something that might strike somebody as right of center, but he comes on with me and he came on to me with set down with, for an interview. We had a good interview and, and he's he's he wants to get rid of public schools altogether. Yeah. Because he said yeah. you can't beat the unions. And that's why Providence has got one of the worst school systems in the country. So he's proposing, of course, conveniently on his way out. You know, everybody gets a little you become very brave on your last day in office. <laughs> uh, he's. We can't we can't win with a public school system. Replace them all with charter schools uh, that operate outside of the union rules. And that naturally led to this conversation. I said, well, Omar is going to go to kindergarten next year. Where are, you, where are you sending them? And I think he shocked a lot of people in sending them. I'm not sending them to Providence Public School. Right. I'll send them to a charter school. And if, and if Omar doesn't get in, uh, he's going to go to LaSalle or he's going to go to a Catholic school. And that really made headlines and just kind of exploded. And you know what? Just the other day, Senate President Ruggiero, another Democrat, longtime Democrat here in Providence, uh, he said, uh, I wouldn't send my grandchildren to Providence Public Schools. So now this could be, you know, it could be snowballing. Yeah, yeah. So if you could change one thing about uh, the news reporting today, you had ultimate power, you could change one thing. What would you change about it to improve it for people to be informed better? I, I would uh, I would get more. Uh, well, I would get more people who see things uh, as, from a centrist point of view. Listen, survey after survey shows the newsrooms are loaded with liberal Democrats. Yeah. 90 plus. Uh, that that affects the way stories are reported. It affects story selection. It's not a good. It's not a healthy system. Uh, we want to have more people who identify right of center. We ought to have more centrists, and we ought to have more of a frank discussion on fairness in media. Uh, you you can't you can't go. Every newsroom in the country is is leaning far left Democrat. It's not healthy for the system. Uh, as I would I would say the same thing if we had every newscast, every newsroom leading right of center or far right. That's not healthy either. 
Mm. Uh, it, it's just not. You know, a lot of a, a lot of people have been overlooked. The middle of the country has been overlooked. The left coast and the, the right coast control everything. And and what do they what do they do? They derive flyover country, flyover territory, with the exception of Chicago. So uh, I don't know if it's a function of this business kind of attracts. Uh, people who are English majors or communication majors. I know a lot of people got in as crusaders post Watergate. It attracted a certain kind of people. But if the if survey after survey shows you that there is such a thing as the liberal media, that ninety plus percent are registered Democrats in a newsroom, that's just not healthy. Mm. For, for fair and balanced is the goal. It's just not healthy. I mean, look what happened. Look what look we're going through now with Twitter. We're learning a lot, aren't we? The New York Post story was right on Hunter Biden's laptop on the eve of the selection, and Twitter suppressed it. Uh, and you know, the liberals control the liberals control big tech. So you have a coupling of big tech suppressing a story that turns out it was Hunter's laptop. Babalewski was right. Why was that story suppressed? And I'm not looking at this. Uh, from a right of center point of view, I want to read everything. I want to read. Look, if you give me Trump's tax returns, I want to read them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what he's up to. I'll read them. You know. You know. So this is this is really a question of fairness. So the question is, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd have I'd have more people right of center in newsrooms responsible for decisions. And I'd, I'd like to have a 50-50 balance and have a healthy discussion. Uh, Gene, I'm going to let you go after this question. And that is, uh, after this kind of career in the news and seeing everything and covering all kinds of stories, um, if you decided, I think you called it pulling down the shade or something earlier when you decide to yeah. pack it in, um, what, what, what would you do next? Would you become sort of an eminence grease? Would you be a college professor? Uh, would you sit back and 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 uh, go fly fishing? I don't know. What, what would you do next after this kind of exciting career? Okay, you and I are both from the same uh, neck of the woods, and we both know all the landmarks. Do you remember Frankie, the hot dog guy up by the, uh, what was the park in Union City? Yeah, he sent a couple of kids to college, sure. He used to wheel his hot dog stand across the street and stand there all day and just kind of shoot the breeze with people making hot dogs. Uh, I think after a career in the media where almost every day brings uh, decisions fraught with controversy and people like you and people don't like you. Well, you I don't know if you were listening to the radio the other day. I, I happened to blurt out on Ted News Conference that I, I thought it's a good idea to get the buses out of Kennedy Plaza. Well, did you hear the death threat that came into me after that? <laughs> Jeez. A, a woman literally called. I played it on the radio because it was so outrageous. Uh, she wanted to shoot me in the head because I, I supported getting the buses out of Kennedy Plaza. So a career full of stuff like that and a career full of bosses coming up after the, after the newscast and saying, hey, we got a problem with this. I think when it's time to bring the curtain down, I'm going to do something that is completely removed from media. And I've had my fill and I may just decide to sell hot dogs somewhere on a corner and just shoot the breeze with people who pass by. And that's what I, I think I paid my dues. That's what I may do. I may really do something completely different. I just want to remind you that two hot dogs and a soda were a quarter. 
So you maintain the integrity of that price structure. Yeah, I imagine if we got a hold of Frankie, he might talk about supply chain issues. <laughs> Make a living. And this is not for you. It's like, ever talk to a guy who owns a restaurant, the first advice they give you is, don't go into the restaurant business. So I don't know. I'll, I'll think of something. Maybe a candy store. Although there are no news, no more newspapers to sell. So you know, what am I going to do? Something completely detached and divorced from the media. Although I have to tell you, it's not happening for a while. Uh, uh, it's not happening for a while. People say, when do you want to hang it up? I say, it's not up to me. In this business, they generally tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, it's uh, two days from Christmas as we record this. So to you and Diane and the girls, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and thank you so much for being with me today. Well, you're welcome. Uh, and a Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays to you and all of your clients watching. Thank you. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.